The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Continue in this series uh, called God is Great. And, you know, this morning we get to revel really in another aspect of the greatness of God's salvation. Him saving us. And our, our salvation really is great. It's incomparable. It's immense and it is free. And, the, you know, the, the thing is, the more we learn about it, the uh, deeper that we study our Bibles, the longer we walk with Christ, really the better that it gets. The sweeter our salvation comes, I think, the more we understand about it. And, you know, just in recent weeks, through the greatness of God, we've seen the, uh, uh, the sacrificial uh, atonement of Jesus. We've seen the love of God to regenerate us. We've seen the declaration of God to justify us. And this morning, as we come to Romans 6, we will think on our union with Christ to sanctify us. Now, if my wife was here, she's home feeling sick this morning. She would add some uh, flavor to what I'm about to say to you now. But, you know, my wife, Erin, and I, we have this uh, 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 kind of this running joke or maybe a debate uh, in our marriage about who has become more like the other in our 13 years of marriage. Those of you who are married, you know this. As, as time goes on, you begin to, like, speak like the other person. You pick up the phrases and the things that they say, maybe even like to the accent or the drawl if you're from various parts of the world. You begin to like one another in this uh, one flesh union that God has made marriage. Uh, all the married folks in the house, you know what I'm talking about? Or is this just been an art? Yeah. You know, so that we, we joke about, well, who's rubbed off more on the other? Has she become more like me and become less refined? Or have I... Uh, is, uh, or, the other way around, I don't know, however I say that. Have I become more like her and more refined? Has she become less refined? I don't know. But you know, it's in similar fashion as we think about our union in marriage and becoming like one another. It's in similar fashion that when we are saved, or as Romans 6 will teach us, that when we are united to Christ in our salvation, it is then that we become transformed. Is there that we become changed, or to use the biblical word, to be sanctified. We begin to take on the change and the attributes, the characters of uh, Christ. And so this morning, as we come to, to Romans 6, we could sum it up in a sentence very simply like this, that God unites us to Christ to change us. If you're taking notes there in your sermon notes, or you have your own notes, write that down. God unites us to Christ to change us, or to transform us, to sanctify us. Praise God that we are not who we once were before Christ. But now we are uh, daily becoming more and more like Him. And so, as you've had that summary here, let's read it uh, together here. Look at your Bibles. I'm going to read the, uh, the passage for us, Romans 6, 1 through 14. You just follow along and hear God's Word for yourself and see His greatness inside this. It says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin, sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe also that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. This is God's word for God's people. What's at the the bottom of this? How would we summarize this passage? God unites us to Christ in order to change us. And now uh, there's a, a flow of thought or a line of argumentation through the book of Romans. Some might say that the Apostle Paul who wrote this was a lawyer. Or if God hadn't saved him and called him to be an apostle, or even as he had saved him, he should maybe have been a lawyer because he is uh, making a case throughout the book of Romans. And if we were preaching it verse by verse and section by section, we would begin to see this. But the, the line of argumentation goes something like this, that we were once lovers of sin and enemies of God. The first three chapters of of Romans uh, describe this. But now we've been declared righteous, or what we saw last week, we've been justified. We have this now relationship with God that is meant to be enjoyed. And now we are no longer under the representation of Adam. Sin is not our master, but we are now represented by or united to Christ. And so as he begins to make this case about what it means now for us to have this relationship with the Lord, to be united to Christ, now it's what he's, he's taking us is, is from, well, here's the transferred life. You've been transferred out of the domain of darkness or out of death and into life. And now here's how you live. The greatness of God through all of this and the assurance, the certainty that covers each of these chapters. Uh, all throughout our salvation, in, in, in Romans 5 through chapter 8, there is this overarching banner of the assurance of our salvation, the certainty of God's declaration, and the certainty of the hope we have now, and the hope that we have in the future of being glorified and with Christ. And so, uh, so to help us sort all this out, because sometimes we, we can get kind of confused about what all this means. And, you know, to just simply say we are saved. And yet, as we grow deeper and we begin to understand this, there are multiple layers. There are multiple aspects to our salvation that describe the change in our relationship with the Lord and also our relationship in regards to sin. And so note this uh, uh, chart on the screen, very simple here for you. Some of you may have seen it, but I hope this helps. What we were at last week is our justification, a, a past event that we are saved. In regards to our relationship with sin, we've been freed from the penalty of sin. The consequences of death are no longer uh, ours to bear. For who bore them for us, church? Jesus. 
but there is also a, a present tense, and really the focus of our attention today of our sanctification, of being saved. Uh, that is both a determination and also a process that we go through uh, throughout life. And as we, uh, at the moment we were saved, we were saved from the power of sin, what we saw here in the chapter, and we'll look at it in more detail in just a moment. And then also that glorious future aspect where we will be saved where we will once and for all be freed from the presence of sin, no longer corrupting our bodies, no longer corrupting our thoughts, no longer corrupting creation, freed from its very presence. And hallelujah, as Pastor Eric prayed, I uh, can't wait for that day. Um, can't wait for it. But see, here's, you know, we, we know very well the, the first. We look forward to that future day with great hope, and yet it is in the in-between there, that second point, our sanctification, that is much more difficult, isn't it? And yet, even throughout this, we see the greatness of God towards us, but it is so difficult. Why? Because it involves change. It involves be, it would be, uh, leaving behind old ways of thinking. It involves leaving behind old ways of doing. And it, it's in this process of being set free that we find ourselves in today. We, he, he helps us live like we've been declared. We're out of jail. And yet sometimes we continue to live as though we are locked up. But no, we've been set free and given God's spirit, his counselor, to help us live moment by moment because we've been united to Christ. We have a status change, an identity change in this, and it results in this life change, both in how we think, as I said, and how we act. And so if the summary is this, that God unites us to Christ so that we will change, it involves then thinking like a Christian. So write this down. We, he changes how we think. We must begin to think like a Christian about here, about our sin about our sin in the first four verses. See, our change, our sanctification begins right here begins in our mind and how we view the world and particularly how we view our sin. And so come to the first four verses and let's look closer here. You know, the Apostle Paul, like I said, he's like lawyer-like. And so he's uh, picking up a, a line of argumentation. He, he's uh, uh, anticipating some objections to what he's just taught, particularly back in uh, chapter 5, verse 20. Just uh, look up there, scan your eyes up there. He says, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more which is like great news, right? Like here, here's, here's just a glorious truth. You can't out-sin God's grace. There's, there's like no sin. If, if God, is, as he sets his love on you, as he chooses you, as he saves you, there's no sin that can out, like you can't out-sin his grace. And so, the, so he anticipates an objection and, and this wrong thinking then, uh, this misunderstanding is like, well then, maybe I should continue sinning so that I can experience more of God's grace. Look at, look at what Paul says. He's like, should we then continue in it? Should we con like living in it, embracing it? And our English translation here in those first three words of verse two, by no means, is really like a, a softened version. It's like, absolutely not, y'all. Do, do, if that line of thinking like comes into your mind, cast it aside. It, it is in no way we should not live this way. It's really a failure to fully understand the sinfulness of us and also the grace of God and the lengths that he went to in order to save us. It cheapens grace. And you know what? This, this line of thinking, though, still exists. It exists in our own heart, I think. Sometimes it, it crops up in, the, you know, in these, these, this idea like, oh, I have a boring testimony. 
I, ne- I, didn't, I didn't go to the pit. I never struggled with major addictions. I never did things. I just, you know, grew up in a Christian home, got saved, and, you know, I've lived a, a, a pretty good life, but, it, you know, my testimony is pretty boring. Do you understand that our testimony is not about our sin and the grievousness of it? Because all sin is offensive to God. But our testimony is about the salvation of Christ. What he did on our behalf. This line of thinking comes in, in this idea of like, oh, well, our salvation is hell insurance. Well, yeah, I, I accepted Jesus into my heart. I walked the aisle. I did the things. I believe that Jesus exists. He died for sin. You know what? But I can live with him because I've got insurance and I ain't going to hell. failure to understand what Christ has done and what he calls us to live and how it happens, you know. It, what, 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 all of these ways just cheapen God's grace and Christ's sacrifice. So Paul's answer, like I just said, he's like, no, that is not the case. And then he says, no, you need to change the way you think. And so his answer, look, he answers actually with a question. And this is really what the whole like chapter uh, exists on. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And so he brings us back to what has happened, this change that has happened in our status that should then affect our thinking, and as we'll see in a little bit, then our acting. See, we live based on what is true. And so there's some vivid imagery here. He's like, you've died to sin. It's been cut off. It has no life, no mastery, no nothing within you. There's no middle ground, but you have now been made alive in Christ Jesus. It's something that happened in the past. You've died. This happened before. It's not something that is ongoing, but because of this status change, now this is how we then are to live. And it begins by us embracing this in our minds. See, verse 3, he comes to us, and this is what is repeated over and over. But do you not know? This we know. We know, verse 9 and verse 6, and it continues on considering, we know this stuff. Like we just sang in the song. This we know, right? As Christians, we have to think like it in regards to our sin. And he uses this really interesting uh, picture here, the picture of baptism. And what is represented at baptism. So make, uh, just, just be very clear about what he's happened here. It's uh, often misunderstood. He's not saying that this way of thinking changes when we are baptized. The effects of this actually happen when we are saved, the moment of our regeneration. But this is what we demonstrate when we do get into the waters of baptism. Our, our, unite, our unity and our identification with Jesus is what we what we, uh, what we proclaim to others as we're being baptized. And just, you know, it's kind of like a commercial break. Next Sunday, we are also having some additional baptisms for people to proclaim these very truths to us. After our baptism a couple weeks ago, we've had others that said, I want to be baptized. If that is you, you've not been baptized yet, see me, see one of the pastors, tell somebody, stop at the connection desk, and let's get you baptized even next Sunday. So what is it that he's saying here? What is it that we are identifying with? Well, in his death, burial, and resurrection, when we go down into the water, we are, uni- or we are identifying with his death, and then his burial, and then Christ's resurrection. We are saying, I am united. The effects of this, of Christ's work, his atoning work, is being applied to me. We are demonstrating that the old man, the old woman, has died. And now I walk as a new man, a new woman in newness of life. What we are saying is here that sin, its power over us, has been severed in our life. And I am a new creature. 
I'm a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. We need to start thinking like this, even in the way that we demonstrate it in our baptism. When it comes to our sin, we are dead to it. It's like if I were to take this cord here. John's got a little uh, device, something. He can tell you what it is. You can ask him about it. And there's a power cord running to it. And if I were to sever the power cord, it would not be able to work. Such is the case with sin over us. When Christ died for us, when we became saved, guess what? The power cord to, uh, from sin to us, severed. Dead to it. Dead to it, but now connected to Christ. See, because it, we need to start thinking like this, like sin is no longer our master, but here's the way our, our thinking also uh, begins to change. It begins to change in how we think about our salvation. See, not only in regards to sin, see, sin is no longer our master. Do you believe that? Do you believe, look at your neighbor if you believe that and say, sin is not my master. That's right. And so we change that. We believe it. We think it. And also in regards to our salvation. See, in verse 5 then, he takes us to the next step. He says, you are then united to Christ. It's not just that it's been severed from us. Now we've been plugged into the true eternal power source. And, and he says, no, you've been, you, you're with him in his death. And I know there's, it's, it's confusing in here, right? Because like, okay, what have I died to? What have I not? So I'm trying to make it just so simple to us. We've been united, literally like planted together with Christ. Like the same hole has been dug in Christ and we, we are in there. This is where the, uh, the, the imagery of marriage becomes so uh, key. As two people come together, united as one flesh in the Lord. And so we can say like Christ's crucifixion was our crucifixion. Representatively speaking, he was our substitute. His resurrection or his Easter morning was our resurrection. We get to enjoy the benefits of it. At the crucifixion, not only was the penalty for our sin paid for, but also the power of sin was done away with, literally rendered inoperative. It was abolished. It was put an end to our old self. He says, we know this, verse 6, we know our old self was crucified with him. The body of sin, the, the, the sin that was in us, synonymous really with the old self here. Severed, dead, done away with, and now we are united to Christ. Why? So that, so that we would no longer be enslaved or slaves to sin. We've been set free. And this starts here, and what he's, he's, he's just saying, we know these things. And so as we continue to grow, as we continue to change, as we battle sin and we choose to follow Christ, it starts here with how we think. United to Christ here, he's, and he's done this on our behalf. So like here's, here's just the, the way that Paul is he's really bringing this out. He's like, church, is Christ controlled by sin? No. So guess what? Neither are you. If you are united to Christ, he is not, it's like, like and even as I ask that question, this really, what Paul's bringing us here is Christ controlled by sin. It should uh, provoke the strong reaction. May it never be. Absolutely not. And so neither are we. And this is the greatest of all news. See, we, as we think about Christ, as we think about our unity with him, he says then, verse 9, look at it. He says, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Can Christ die again? 
No, he defeated death. He can't come back. No, he, death, he died once for all. And the life he lives, he lives for God. He is continuing to live right now at the right hand of the Father. The life he lived was perfect. The life he continues to live, we, he lives perfect. And so we know this. We understand it. We think differently now as Christians about our sin and about our life in Christ. So maybe you can picture your life this way. Maybe you just to use some imagery here in our city. You know that I-35 like cuts our city straight in half, right? And so picture this, like before Christ, uh, everybody, you were born east of I-35. This has nothing to do with people who live over there, or the, you know, the geography or anything like that. But we're all born over there. And I-35 is like this massive wall. Christ the rescuer came and rescued us, taking us out of that domain and transferring us west of I-35. There's no going back, no way to get over the uh, overpass. There's nothing uh, that would enable us to get over that at all. It's guarded by the Holy Spirit. He patrols I-35, and there are just a no, there, there are no you know, holes in the fence. There's nothing. But you're over here. You have a new master. Out of this, this uh, the District A, represented by Adam, now into new district, represented by Jesus Christ. New creature, new master. And yet... Even though we're transferred over here, we can still hear the hum of what goes on over there. We still hear our old master. We're, we, the, we, the old, we, 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 we're just prone to like wander over there and to dabble with it. To remember what life was like. Yet, call us to continue going west. See, the new master Christ lives far to the west. The closer we get, the closer we hear him. The more, we, uh, the more we walk in newness of life and the less we hear uh, the old master. But herein lies the struggle, right? Because we know this. We think about this. We know uh, our, our tra- we've been transferred out of this. And yet, as I just mentioned briefly a bit ago, some of us live like ex-cons who've you know, been released after years in prison and yet now don't know how to function in freedom. why the church is why discipleship is why other believers are so important here so where's the help in all this well it starts in the way that we think about ourselves it starts in the way that we think about our relationship to sin and our old way of life and our salvation now and what that means for us now but there's one final thing like a resolution that is so vital to our thinking in verse 11 that he brings us to it's the first command in this passage we must uh, have think like christians about our identity we have to change the way that we think about our identity. Verse 11 is a summary statement. After he says all this, hey, you've died to sin. You are alive in Christ. You must consider yourselves this way. Now, here's the reality. In English, like, consider is a much more like nebulous word, right? It's, like, it's a softer term because we think, oh, I'll consider that. I'll consider your, you know, your proposition. Or I'll consider, let me consider what I'm, I'm going to do. And yet, no, this is, this is like a command. It's a command to understand. The Greek word here, legizma, you must consider yourselves. An interesting life. It's the very same word here that uh, is used in the chapters previous about how God views us in Christ. We have been counted or considered righteous. It is a settled way of thinking that leads to definitive action. 
See, when it comes to our own mind, we must consider, we must live. It is settled in our minds and in our way of thinking that sin is dead to me and I am alive in Christ. I am a new creature and we're commanded to do this. We're commanded to do it. We need to embrace this new identity. You know, it's the same way that like in in marriage as we are now united we must consider ourselves a different person. The old single self is dead. The new one flesh union with your husband or wife is, is the new. There's a new way of thinking about others. There's a new way of thinking about your family even. To leave and to cleave the relationship you had with your mom or your dad or your siblings is now different. Different way we think about even our spouse. We think about the people around us. And, and note, this takes time, doesn't it? It's not like on your wedding day, you all of a sudden like just have all this down and everything is perfect, right? It takes weeks, months, years, even decades to continue living out this new identity. And yet it is true of us and we must consider ourselves as such, even as it comes to our salvation. But is it just enough to think about it? starts there so don't miss the importance of it because this is what he's repeating we know this we know this we know this this is where change begins it changes it's changing how we view our relationship to sin and to christ but then that leads to acting like a christian and that's where he takes us in this the, the greatness of god in all of this we it begins with our thinking and then with our acting and here's the glory of it is that we can now say no very simply here, and as we get to verse 12 here, this, this is the, the glory of it all, is that you, if you're a Christian, you can say, no, these are summary verses of walking in the newness of life. Now remember last week, is there our war with God, as we become Christians, is our war with God over? Shake your head. Yes. It is over. You are now at peace with God. He is now ruling and reigning in your life. But what still continues? It is the war with sin. And that's what he's getting to in verse 12. Look at it here. He says, let not sin therefore reign. This is kingdom language. It is kingdom language. Let it not reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Now, now note this, church. We are not at peace with our sin. We, we are at war with it. If you are at peace with your sin, if you're just embraced it, if, you're, if you've gotten comfortable with a, a sinful way of living, then that's the problem. We've got Michael on our staff to help you walk this out. We've, we've got a, a small groups that we invest so much in so that we can battle against this, not on our own. So there's a difference here that, the, that Paul is bringing out here in, in regards to our sin. And I want you to see it here. We're getting theological this morning, I know. Some of y'all like this. Some of y'all and see the smoke coming out of your ears uh, with this. But I want you to see this, the, the difference here. There's a difference that, that Paul's getting at versus reigning sin. Not like pouring down rain, like shh, but like reigning, like kingdom, R-E-I-G-N-I-N-G. Reigning sin, that is our master. We've already said that. You don't believe that, is it? Sin is not your master. Versus remaining sin and the battle that is continuing on. It is no longer a master, yet we are not freed yet from its presence. And so therefore, this, the, the battle continues. The battle continues, and so we must walk it out. We must walk it out in our whole body, we, with, our, with all of our beings. So it's not our master. 
but yet the war continues on, and so we can say no. Where once we could not, once we were enslaved to it, prior to Christ, prior to our salvation, prior to being regenerated and justified and sanctified, we could not say no. But now you can say no when temptation lurks. When those words are bubbling up and ready to come out, you can say no. When that action that once uh, looked really appetizing or enticing to you, you can sound now say no. It does not reign in your body any longer. You are now able not to sin. Praise the Lord. I think sometimes we, we lose the, the, the enthusiasm about that and the, also just the wonder that God has given us this freedom. And not only just to our whole self, but he, he takes it now very personally to the individual members of our body parts. That's what he gets to in the first half of, of verse 13. He says, do not present your members. Now, this isn't like church, you know, and church membership, like, you know, we're going to like present our members. That's weird. He's talking about body parts. He's getting real specific here. And he's using this Old Testament sacrificial language of when they would bring things to the altar. They would present it, uh, the animal or the parts of the animal or whatever it might be. They would bring it to the altar and they would present these things as instruments or tools or you could even translate this like weapons as, as things for worship. Almost picture, you know, especially this bad scene here of like in Star Wars when Anakin is presenting himself to Darth Sidious. Swearing allegiance to him. He's saying you don't have to do that. Do not present. You can stop now. Walking in newness of life means that you don't have to. You might say, well, I still struggle with pride at work. Still get so angry with my kids. I, 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 still, I just can't turn off my computer. I, I, I still boast in my accomplishments. I still look at things online on my phone that I shouldn't. I still pry the refrigerator open far too often. I still get, get, just get out of control with liquor or choose to be despondent. And This is you. It starts with your thoughts. In each of those scenarios, you're dead to it. You're dead to the temptation. You're dead to the struggle. This is a sin. And all, here's what, all, really what you have to do. You just identify it. Identify the sin. Call it what it is. Use the biblical terminology. Isolate it and then kill it. You're dead to it. Just think, think like this. Think, think in your own mind. I am united to Christ. Therefore, I have to obey and I get to present myself to God. I am united to Christ. It's a status change. Therefore, I have to obey. He is my master, but I get to present myself to God. I don't have to present myself to this sinful temptation. I don't have to do this, but I can now say, no, I don't have to present myself to these things for unrighteousness, something we are far too good at. But you know, it's not only the cutting out that is important. It is also what we fill it back in with. See, the Lord is at work in us. He's united us to Christ to change us. And we can now think differently and act differently. We can say no. But here's might be the best part of it all, is we can also say yes. We can also say yes. We have to like backfill this in. Sometimes we're good at saying, okay, well, I'm going to cut this in off. I'm not going to do this. But then we just leave ourselves wide open. And rather than uh, 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 doing something godly or righteous, which we'll come to in a minute, is we actually just like move on to another addiction. We move on to another sin. We'd move on to another struggle. 
And what we're getting at here at the end of verse 13, this but is so important. He says, but present yourselves to God. Whole self and your individual parts. Are you a Christian this morning? Have you repented of your sin? Have you turned from it? Has Christ's uh, 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 death on the cross been applied to you? If so, look at your neighbor, and if you believe that, and say, Christ is my master. Yeah. Sin is not my master, but Christ is, and therefore we can say yes to him. And here's one of the things, I'm, as a pastor, I'm convinced that this very step here of obedience is often the obstacle to Christian maturity. You, where you are at in your life and taking the next step in growing in Christ is often here of saying yes to the Lord. We cut out sin, but then yes, and we, what do we fill it back in with? We must then present ourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. Just another summary statement, exactly what Christ did on the cross identifying with him who's died and risen again. And note, note this here. You've seen it's Old Testament sacrificial language, but it's worship language, isn't it? So what he'll say in a few chapters uh, from here in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Same concept. He says, I appeal or I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's his transition statement. Then the rest of Romans is all, all application, all, uh, all commands on how we are to live. First 11 ver- or chapters of Romans, theology. Then the last several chapters, application. Here's how then you live. And he's picking back up on what he's saying right here. And so, in regards to sin, we must start acting like it and saying no to sin and yes to the Lord. See, we can only be doing one thing. As Jesus will say, can we serve two masters, church? Here's the reality. If you're serving God, you won't be serving sin. In a worshipable way and continuing in it by serving God, you use the rest of yourself to serve Him by presenting the members of your body, what you once, your mouth, your ears, your eyes, your feet, your hands, your body, what you once presented to sin to do sinful things. He's now you can say yes and you can give them to the Lord to do godly things. And this is what we do every time we show up to serve. It's out in the parking lot, somewhere in here with the kids, whatever it might be. We do so. We are presenting ourselves to God when you do that in your own home. Every time you make dinner with a joyful heart for your family, or you wash up the dishes, you clean things, or you care for your spouse or your kids, as we're doing it, we're presenting ourselves to the Lord as instruments, as tools for righteousness. The small group friends, the co-workers, as you are doing so, you are presenting yourselves as instruments for righteousness. We are using our time for the Lord's purposes. And, and, and this is, like I said, this is often an obstacle because sometimes we're like, okay, I'm going to cut out sin, but then we maybe just backfill our time in with things that aren't necessarily sinful or outright wicked, but maybe just aren't the best use of time. But are we being intentional and deliberate by, no, you know what? I am going to actively use myself for the glory of God. And see, in all of this, all of this happens not just in our own strength. Not just us, but even as the song said, Christ in 
me. It's being united to him that we even do any of this. And because we're united to Christ, we get the Holy Spirit and we have the direction of the Lord to do all this. It's like uh, being a, a, a carpenter and you've been set free and given top dollar state-of-the-art tools and an owner's manual and an expert craftsman to train you to build the things. We cover great ground. Our old way of life is like trying to build a house, you know, with only your hands and like trying to pound nails in with your fists and like karate chopping boards to make cuts. It's pointless. You couldn't do anything. But now because of Christ, we have purpose. We have a reason for which to live. Sin does not have dominion. Why? Because we are under the grace and help and mercy of God. And so what are these means of grace? How does he help us? Well, it's one another. It's a church. It's his word. It's through prayer. It's through the uh, being served by the spiritual gifts of others as we in turn are serving them as well. The reality is, is that when we do find ourselves in struggle, when God is working to change us and we're resistant to it or, 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 or sin is creeping up in us, and when we're struggling with sin, what do we often do? We often try to run away feel this guilt or the shame and so we, we so we isolate ourselves and we miss small group we miss church we we miss time with uh, with the lord in our bible reading or we neglect our times of prayers and here's the thing y'all it's exactly what the enemy wants he wants to isolate you cut you off and the very thing that the lord wants us to do is isolate our sin and cut our sin off as painful as it might be but not any longer, beloved, right? We walk in newness of life, free from sin. We, we, we live this way, thinking this way, that we're dead to that. Acting this way, no, I'm dead to that. I don't have to. And you know what? As a matter of fact, it's not only that I just don't have to do, you know, blank sin, is I now get to use my whole self for the glory of God. See, if we've been united to Christ, then he's rubbing off on us. Yes, he should be. As we are in this union with him, we are becoming more and more like him, living the life that he lived, laying down his life, serving us, and you know, or serving others as we serve him. And here's the thing. He's changing us one degree of glory at a time, isn't he? It's both a declaration, something that has happened to us, and a process in which we live out all under the grace of God with one another and uh, back towards us. But this sanctification is about change, transformation, growth in Christ. This is what we are about in this life, in between the, uh, uh, our birth and our death. We're set apart. We're being made holy now. That involves a change in our identity and our thinking and our acting all by the grace of God. And man, this Christmas season, we've got all kinds of opportunities to live this out, don't we? To serve one another, to remember and reflect on what is true about us and how we think and how we live. Serving the people around us, the family around us, those who are vulnerable, those who are hurting, and those who are right next to us. And we do it all by the grace of of God. So why don't you pray with me and let's thank God in the midst of this battle, in the midst of this journey as we walk in newness of life. God in heaven, here we are. 
And we, uh, Lord, we do first, we just thank you that these things are true. Would you, Lord, would you just do the work that only you can do by your spirit? And would you cement these things that we would know, we would consider them in our minds? And Lord, we also need your help to live it out daily, Lord. When these things are put to the test, when we are having that conversation, when we, are, uh, when, when we have to uh, take on this responsibility in our home, in our classrooms, in our workplaces, Lord, we need your help. And yet, even as we come humbly, as we come dependently, we just, we come before you gratefully. Grateful that we can't even think this way. Grateful that we can know the truth. Be set free by it. Set free to live in light of it, Lord. It's all because of who you are. Not because of us, God. You're not being changed or affected by us. Your, our sin is not staining you. But rather your purity, your holiness is having its effect on us, God. May we shine. May you transform us. May you do this work, even in us today, as we uh, leave out of here, Lord. We worship you now. Pray these things in Christ's name. God's people said, amen.